We've been um, talking about being engaged in battle. And there's two more to come after this, so two more, and then we're heading towards Christmas. But what I wanted to talk about this morning is really to look at how we take possession of what is already ours. You know, um, one of the things that that the Bible teaches us, under the New Covenant, there are many blessings that are already ours because of what Christ did. You know, he, as Roger said earlier, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Uh, Peter says, you have everything you need for life and godliness through the promises that he's given. And all that is sealed within the new covenant. And as a born-again believer, we share in the inheritance that Christ has left us. That's how the new covenant works. We share in an inheritance because of what Christ has done. And, you know, it's really easy to, to lose focus of that truth because we, we, we tend to get muddled in our thinking, muddled in, in our minds uh, between what is ours and what we have to get and what we have to earn and how do we do to get it. And that's because the, the enemy plays games with the way we think. And he muddles our thinking around theology. He muddles our thinking. He tries us to get us to work on stuff that, that, that isn't appropriate under the new covenant. And so, you know, we have lots of things that are ours. And it's not the question of whether they're ours or not, but sometimes taking possession of them is an issue. How many of you know that you can actually have something and have ownership of something, but you actually have to go and possess it? You know, it's no good like buying a new car at a car garage if you don't go and get the keys and sit in the car and drive it away. The car's yours, you've paid for it, but until you use it, you haven't taken possession. And and that's really what I want to focus on this morning, how we take possession, what that's about. And... uh, In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, Israel was taken out of Egypt, set free from slavery, and and, and they were, were brought to the edge of the Promised Land. Now, in the, what the Bible tells us is what happens in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is a shadow of what we have in the New. In other words, it's not a full explanation of it, but you can tell some things around what was going to happen. So it's like when, when I come, there's not bright enough lights in here, but when I come around the corner, if I'm stood in the sunshine, you can see my shadow. Now, you can tell certain things about me from my shadow. You might have a guess at how tall I am, but you can tell I'm moving, you can tell I've got arms, you can tell I've got legs. You can tell that from a shadow, but you can't actually see what I look like. And so that's how the Old Testament works. That's how we, the, the Old Testament, the, old, the stories in the Old Testament still apply for us. They're, they're, they're useful for us to see things which are true for us as New Covenant believers. And, and, and so like when Israel came out of slavery and it came to the promised land, we were taken out of the slavery of sin and now we have the promises of God. We have the inheritance that we have been given. And so... You know, one of the things that happened with Israel is for a journey that should have taken them 11 days, took them 40 years. 
And we all know the story about like how they wander around in circles and all the trials and things that they go through and all the moaning and complaining. And we go, how dumb were they? Well, there's a whole lot of us that have carried on going round and round the same mountain and not got our breakthrough either. You know, and it's time we started going through and seeing what God has for us instead of wandering round and round the same mountains, the same things in life. And to do that, we're going to have to make some mind shifts, some, some changes in our thinking. We're going to have to have our, re- our minds renewed. And so I, I'm going to go, well, I'm going to start at Romans chapter 6, but I just want you to, to, to set the scene for this, for this shadow. You see, one of the things is that when they looked at the promised land, when they sent the spies in, they had a bad case of the ites. You know, they saw them, the Jebusites, the Hittites, all the ites that were in there. And for us, we have our own ites. We have our hurt ites. We have our bad boss ite. We have our broken relationship ite. We have the somebody knife me in the back ite. You know, we, we have our own ites. And when Israel... They're sending these spies. And now, if you remember, two of the spies say it's a land... Flo- well, they all agree it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But ten of the people who go in, they look at it and they go, but we can't take it because there's giants in the land. And they're going to stop us taking possession. And that, you know, what I wanted you to know is this. The giants were never the problem. The giants were never the problem. They weren't the issue. God was on their side. The giants weren't the problem. The way they thought about the giants was the problem. You see, when you've got God on your side, nothing nothing can stand against you. God is for you. Who can be against you? In whatever situation you face, you are more than a conqueror. You can come through the other side. The giants, the situation, the problem that, that you might have in your life right now or encounter in the future or you've encountered in the past, that was never the problem. The problem is how you think about that problem and how you think about God. Stinking thinking, says Cheryl. Your problem, stinking thinking. You see, how can I put this gently? It's impossible to have freedom when you think bondage. It's impossible to have victory when you think defeat. It's impossible to have joy when you think about depressing things. It's impossible to have life when you think death. It's impossible to have health when you think sick. What we think in the kingdom determines how God is able to operate in our life. And that's why it's so important we understand how God wants to operate in what he's given us. Because we want our thinking to be transformed to meet up with that. So, you see, the problem is we're still carrying around in our flesh a whole load of stuff that needs changing. And, and we run around, and a lot of our life is determined by our emotions and our ups and downs and how we feel about things and, and what's going on and who said what and when they said it. And, and, and a lot of our life still runs on that basis. And that, that's the bit that we need to change to take possession of the promises that God's given us. 
So like the, the Israelites, they had to go into the promised land and take possession of it to win the battles. For us, what we have to do is we have to change our thinking so that we take possession of what is ours. Yeah. You see, God had already given the promised land. He wasn't bothered about any giants, was he? He knew they were there, but he wasn't bothered about them. And you know, when, when they actually go in the promised land, one of the funny things I think is that they, they encounter this, this, um, this lady, what she called Rahab, and she tells them that the people are terrified, however big they are, they're all terrified of the Israelites because they've been camped outside there for 40 years and they've got God on the side and everybody in the land is terrified of the Israelites. But because Israel saw the giants, it was terrified of the giants instead of thinking about, I've got a God who's bigger than those giants and those giants are coming down. Yeah. Whatever giants you have in your life, they're coming down. My page keeps blowing over. You see, you know, like, when we talk about the wilderness, you know, they wandered around in this wilderness for 40 years. What's your wilderness? What's, the, what's our wilderness? If we're saying this is a, a type or a shadow of what, what reality is. Our wilderness is the wandering we do in our mind. It's, the, it's when we engage with all the unrenewed stuff in our thinking. It's when we wander around thinking about things that aren't the way God thinks. And God wants us to start thinking the way he thinks. So let's go to Romans chapter 6. And I just want you to, to see this. In Romans chapter 6, verse 2, Paul's, you know, he's, he's addressing this question that keeps coming up, which is, if you're under grace, can't you just go off and do what you like? But this is what he says. Certainly not. How shall we who've died to sin live any longer in it? And then when you go out over the page to verse 11, it says like this. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he saying? The reality is that for a new a, a, a believer now, like you, put your hand up if you're a believer. Yeah, well, that's good. So this, I'm talking to you. That means staying awake is a good idea. So for a believer, that's you. The truth is, sin does not have dominion in your life. That's right. Because you, your old man died and you're now alive, a new creation, who has the spirit of God inside him. Therefore, what Paul is saying, you have to consider yourself, you have to actually think on and act on and organise your thinking to know that it's true. Consider yourself dead to sin. Not, not just like waltz through life thinking, I'm just stuck with that same old stuff. And you know, the number of people say, well, I can't be free because I'm addicted. I'm just caught up in this. I can't get free of it. You can because the, the, the rule and reign of sin in your life has been broken. Yeah. It died when your old man died. When you became a Christian, that rule and reign was broken. Yeah. It's the enemy telling you you can't be free. God says, I've given you a new life. I've given you a new spirit. You have a new creation. You're walking free. You're not who you were. Now be who you can be. Yeah. Be who I've made you to be. 
And, and we, we need to engage on that level and start imposing that. Yeah. You've got to understand, you know, like we, we I, I think, I, I love that song. I don't know what, whether it's called Our Father or Your Kingdom Come or whatever. But, you see, the approach of a, of a believer, the, your approach, and again, we have to re-educate ourselves, but your approach to, to whatever is in front of you is your kingdom come. The kingdom is coming in this place. Wherever I am, I'm going to declare the authority of the kingdom over whatever I'm facing. Yeah. You see, there isn't sickness in heaven, so I'm going to see, I'm going to declare that there's not going to be sickness here either. And, you know, we need to keep declaring that. We, we, we've gone to war a bit on sickness the last couple of months, and we've seen God do miracles. So we need to keep on declaring that the kingdom is coming. Wherever we are, we need to keep on declaring that the kingdom is coming over our life. How do I know that's a, a valid thing to do? How do you know that's a valid thing to do? Well, isn't that how Jesus said you pray? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That wasn't like... God, let's look forward to one day when you're coming back. That's your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, prayed right here, right now. Yeah. You see, the way we see change in our life is to think what God thinks and say what God says. And sometimes when we're studying our Bible, we kind of get some of the way to thinking what God th thinks, but then we say what what all our mates say and all our friends say, it comes out of our mouth, doesn't it? Yeah. The amount of stuff that comes out of our mouth that doesn't line up to the word of God. Yeah. You know, we, we, and we have this unfortunate thing that we listen to ourselves. And what, so what most of the time what we're doing is listening to stuff coming out of our mouths that is contrary to the word of God and, and sort of messing our minds up again. Yeah. So we think what God thinks and we say what he says. We have to keep a, a guard over what's coming out. Now, what that entails is this, that we have to think about what we're thinking about. Okay, I'll say that slowly. We have to think about what we're thinking about. How do, how do, how do you do this? Well, you could... Let me, let me give you some advice. It doesn't work passively. What, I, I don't know how you do this for you. It works for me. But you kind of have to, you have to sit down. Sort of, I don't know, I do it once or twice a week. You have to sit down and you have to have a meeting with yourself. You, know, you have to just have a little bit of a conversation with yourself and go like, where, what's going on? What's, what am I thinking? What's coming out of my thought life? What's coming out of my mouth? How am I reacting to things? And you just sit yourself down and give yourself a good talking to. I've got really skilled at giving myself a good talking to. It confuses the heck out of people in Costa Coffee, but, you know, I'm giving my, myself a good talking to. Because I want my thinking to line up with God's thinking. And, and the only way I can do that is to, to suggest to you that regularly you sit down and you have a good conversation with yourself. I, I know that may get you locked up in full bomb, but <laughs> it works. It works because it refocuses you on what God's saying. Yeah. You see, we have to, if we're going to take possession of what is ours, 
we have to set our thinking on what is ours. And the reason for that is that the, the enemy works and the, 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 the sort of ingrained thinking of the world works at a mind level. You see, when you're born again, your soul gets changed, your, your heart gets, uh, sorry, your spirit gets changed, your heart gets changed, but you still got a lot of thinking that is just as stinking as it was when you got to it. And, and bizarrely, as believers, we can, we can actually carry on accumulating stinking thinking even after we're saved because we listen to all sorts of stuff. And, and, and we don't realise, we go, well, you know, that, that just sounds like all that stuff that psychologists and whatever get into. Well, you know, sometimes the world can actually discover the way God works yeah. and some of it is helpful. But what God tells us is that, that the battle that we face doesn't take place at the level of uh, something you can see. I mean, nobody's lining tanks up on our lawn, hopefully. I mean, kind of, we're kind of hoping there's no outbreak in Spain next week. We're going to Spain on holiday next week. We're kind of like, whoa, there you go. But it doesn't work like, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, th these will be verses that are familiar to many of you. But it, there are also verses that we forget. For the weapons of our warfare, how do we win the battle, are not carnal, they're not fleshly. But they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds are ingrained systems of belief. This happens, therefore I do that. Some, that, that takes place, therefore I react like that. It's our, our belief systems that we live our life and operate on. That's a stronghold. So how's it, how does a weapon work? Casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I, I look at that and I think, well, if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. So there's something that, that takes place where we have to recognise what we're dwelling on, what we're thinking about, And we have to take responsibility for actually casting it down. In other words, changing our mind about it. Recognising that what we're thinking about isn't the way God thinks about a situation. And we, as individuals, take responsibility for changing it. For casting it down. Going, I'm not thinking like that. I'm no longer going to think like that. Because God's word says, I have this. I, this is mine. And I'm not going to let my mind run off, but I'm going to recognise that my mind's now gone off. It's thinking stuff that God doesn't think, thinking stuff that God hasn't said. And I reject that line of thinking, and I'm going to choose to declare over my life that I am blessed, I am healed, I am saved, I am set free, I am not in bondage, I can change, I can overcome, I can be more than a conqueror, because God is for me and not against me. And if he is for me and not against me, then who can be against me? No one, therefore I have this. And, and I have to ch you have to deliberately do that. Now, it might feel a bit like really uncomfortable at first, but... Honestly, it's the only thing that works. We, we haven't got another way of dealing with anything. So how do you get, you know, it's, it's one thing to have a stronghold, recognise it and, and, and then deal with it. 
But how do you get rid of it? Well, the only way that ultimately you can get rid of a stronghold is to know the word of God. Because if you don't know the word of God, you can't recognize thoughts that aren't his. And so you have to be a diligent student of the word. And kind of, I, I, I don't know why, but I think sometimes that's kind of become a bit unfashionable for believers, to be a diligent student of the word. And we're quite happy to, to be fed, as in go along to a meeting on a Sunday morning and hear some word, but we've, we're not actually that, as, as a whole, we seem to have got out of the habit of being committed to feeding ourselves as well. And, and to, to actually setting aside time in our schedules each day to read the word. And without that, we're not going to change. That's, that's God's mechanism. The Holy Spirit takes the word and he changes our thinking. He pulls down the strongholds and builds good strongholds, positive strongholds instead. He changes our belief systems. But you can't do that without the word. And so it's vitally important that we commit to being diligent students of the word of God. Now that doesn't mean accumulating information about the word of God. Although that's helpful sometimes. What it means is taking the time in your day to read the word and ask the Holy Spirit to bring things forward and give you, new re give you revelation that applies to your situations. And, and, and we have to be more diligent students of the word. So what's the problem with the Israelites? You know, they, they stood around. The problem with the Israelites is they looked at the land and they didn't have a positive vision about the future. Now, don't, bear with me because people go, oh, you're talking. When I talk about vision, I mean the way you see things. And they looked at the future and they saw giants. And they looked at the future and saw they couldn't do it. And they looked at the future and think this isn't going to happen. And then what they did is they started looking back. And they go, like, why have you brought us out of Egypt? We were much better off when we were there. You know, we, we can't, Moses, why have you done this to us? Why have you led us here? Why have you done that? And they kept looking back to their past life. The biggest barrier to your future being different from your past is when you keep always looking at your past. You see, a lot of believers live in a situation where their past dictates their life now. And honestly, that's not godly. That's not the way God thinks. Your past dictates nothing. Your past is simply that. It is past. And, and you know, sometimes we go like hunting around, rummaging around in our past, trying to find solutions. There isn't any solutions in your past for your future. There's just the problems that were there in the first place. 
And Paul says that we, we, we leave behind the things that entangle us and press forward to the goal. You see, the truth is, no matter what's happened in your past, no matter what's going on right now, it cannot keep you from a better future if you keep your eyes on God. So I'm urging you not to get stuck in the past. You know, some... I, I don't know who I'm talking to here, maybe, but... Some of you, day in, day out, still think about certain people and certain relationships that were a mess. And there comes a point, and I'm saying that point is now, you need to say, that person has had enough of my life. They're not going to have the rest of my life. They're not going to occupy my thoughts for the rest of my life. Because often, you know, we, we get so, like, all our current life is occupied with Thoughts of stuff that stuff people did to us. Six months ago, ten months ago, five years ago, ten years ago. And we're still thinking about it, still talking about it. And at some point, and that needs to be today, we say that person has had enough of my life, no more. They get no more of my life. Because you need to be free. You need to realise you've got a future that is different from your past. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I, I know I'm talking to somebody. You don't have to put your hand up. You shovel will go for that. <laughs> you see, we, we need to start seeing things through our spiritual eyes, not our physical eyes, and not what has happened to us. We need to see, see things that are not yet and are about to become. You see, the, God's word works on the idea that we... We look at what we haven't seen yet and we believe until we see it because we know he's promised it to us. In Genesis, Abraham, who sometimes, you know, Abraham gets listed in the great men of faith, as you know, and he's like one of the, 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 the biggies of the Old Testament. But he, he often wasn't that great at actually walking it out. And he, and he went up and down in his life. Sometimes he, he'd be like really on with God and at other times he'd do the stupidest things. And in Genesis 13, Abraham's just done a stupid thing. And, and he's got away with it. God's bailed him out. He's got away with it. And uh, go with me to Genesis 13 anyway. And basically, he's got in trouble in Egypt, which he went to because there was a famine. Even though God told him he'd be blessed where he was, he goes down to Egypt hunting food, uh, gets himself in all sorts of trouble with uh, the Pharaoh. Anyway, he get, he get, at the end of it, he gets out. And um, we find that when he comes back to the Promised Land, he's still got all the people in tow that he wasn't never meant to take with him in the first place, Lot and all his family and the rest of it. And what the Bible tells us is that even though Abraham's been an idiot, the spoken favour of God is still on him. And so he's now mega rich. And not only is he mega rich, but everybody around him is massively blessed as well. So they get back to the land that God showed them, and they've got a problem. 
And the problem is too much blessing. I like that problem. I want that problem. Too much blessing. Do you realize that the truth is you all have that problem? There's too much blessing on your life. It's just that we haven't taken possession of it. And so what happens is that this him and Lot, Abraham says, right, okay, let's split. I'll give you, Lot, I'll give you the choice. Which bit of land do you want? That amazing pasture land over there where you can have all your sheep or this rubbish desert over here. Which, which do you want, Lot? Now, which do you take? Which would you take? Pasture land. Pasture land. Yeah? Who cares? Do you, not, do you not get it? Abraham's going, who cares? I don't care what Lot takes. Why? Because I'm blessed to be a blessing. So I don't care what he has. It's stuff. I don't care. Now that might shock you because our response, I guarantee you, without the benefit of this incredible message, that what you would have done, given that question, in reality, you'd have gone for the pasture land. You'd go, oh, you need a generous bloke, I'm off. (laughs) And Lot does. And what happens to Abraham? He's blessed. Because the blessing of God isn't according to circumstance. The blessing of God is yours. It rests on you. And so we, we get to, I forgot what verse I was going to now, verse 14. And it says, And the Lord said to Abraham, After Lot is separated, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. Now, there's a point at what God's doing there because what Abraham does is he went back, when he came back from Egypt and is doing this division, Abraham went back to the place he'd been when the famine started. So in in verse... uh, Three, he went back to this place called Bethel, where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. You see, what Abraham had done is he went back to what was familiar and he went back to his past and God had a different plan for him in his future. So God comes and Abraham has this understanding that God's favour rests upon him, so he's not bothered which bit of land he gets. But God wants to make his vision bigger so he can see more. And so Abraham's vision is like, he's, he's sat there going, this is where I started. I've got, you know, like, I'm in the desert. It's rubbish here. Lot's got that. I know God's favour's resting on me, but I can't see how he's going to do it for me fear. So what does God do? If we let God change, he'll take us to a completely different vision so we can see that, that, that he's, not, he's not, you see, the thing about God is he's not about incremental change in your life. He's about blowing away what's there and giving you something new. So he says to, says to Abraham, look, from wherever you are, as far as you can see, eastward, westward, northward and southward, I'm giving you. Take with that little bit of pasture land, you get the whole lot now. You could see, you understand that your blessing rests upon me, so you get the whole lot. It's all yours, I'm giving it to you. Verse 17. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Now, I want you to see some things here. Firstly, I'm going to challenge you. What can you see in your life? 
Remember, God's about renewing your thinking. For him to renew your thinking, you're going to have to use a particular gift he's given you. It's called imagination. Imagination is a gift of God. Often we misuse it, but actually imagination is one of the greatest gifts he's given man. Because it gives us the ability to see something that isn't there yet. So what do you see? Use your imagination. See yourself not in debt anymore. See yourself well, healed. See relationships restored. See yourself with a better job. See yourself with a better future. And then trust God for it. You see, the kingdom works like this. That we look at what is not yet seen. And we see it through our imagination. And the truth is, if you can see it, you can have it. You see, I want, I want you to understand this, that God will put stuff in your heart that he has for you that makes no sense to your mind. And he's going to have to change your mind. But what he wants you to do is see the stuff he's putting in your heart and look at it and see it as yours. Because your mind can't get there, but your imagination can. And he's going to give, he's got stuff for you that you, your mind can't conceive is part of your life. But it will be part of your life because your life's going to change. I pondered this this morning. I pondered it like all for ages beforehand whether to share this or not. Because I wanted to, it to come across clearly and not negatively. But I, I was reading um, on Facebook this morning uh, a lady who I don't, I don't know that well, but I do know of her ministry well. And, she, and her, her husband is really ill at the moment. Um, and she put on, on Facebook about how they'd gone to an intercessory prophet friend of theirs. I don't know who that was. And this intercessory prophet had said to them that, the, the, that there was no healing uh, coming in her husband's life because there was a contention uh, between God and Satan and they were arguing over it and um, Satan's arguments were prevailing at times and the enemy's uh, God's arguments were prevailing at times, and that the more people who prayed, then the the it swung towards God. She thinks because that's you know she she knows prayer has effect, so more prayer must work. Now, all of that sounds very spiritual. And in the time of Job, before anybody had a covenant with God, even before Abraham, Satan had that sort of access. And he was the accuser of the brethren. 
But that was even before the covenant with Abraham, let alone before there's any law or, or even a new covenant or the victory of the cross. So I'll give you that. If you want to find a verse, you might be able to find one. It's in Job. But we don't have that. That's not how God works for us. He, God is not contending with anybody. He's not arguing with Satan. He's got no time for Satan. He's not bothered about Satan. He already crushed him 2,000 years ago. He made a public spectacle of him. He's not debating your future with Satan. Satan hasn't got any arguments he takes before God because if he's got anything that God can accuse, him, accuse you with, Jesus dealt with it. Amen. You know, you're not going to get healing if you don't know what is yours. If you think Satan can still argue, you can't be in faith. That's why it's so important we become students of the word. And, and, and I don't understand why, why you know, we, prominent believers can not understand that what they hear from other people, they need to line up with the word of God. You don't just take it because some prophet said it. It's got to line up with the word of God. And so we have to understand what covenant we are under. The Bible tells us that God, Jesus isn't sweating, he's not stressed, he's not upset, he's not fighting anybody, God's not arguing with anybody, they're sat with their feet up in heaven. Yeah. And they're waiting for us to make the enemies their footstool. Amen. They're not making the enemy a footstool, we do. We take possession by entering into the rest. Yeah. The rest is knowing what Christ has already done for us and believing it Amen. instead of striving to make it happen ourselves. Yeah. You see, if you want to pray for somebody that's sick, you're not interceding in some heavenly battle between Satan and God. That's done with. What you're doing is you're declaring the victory now. You know, we intercede now by declaring victory. We pray things like, your kingdom come, your will be done, right here, right now. Healing is my right. Enemy, you have no rights in my life. The Bible tells us, submit yourself to God, resist Satan, and he flees. There's no argument going on, and God certainly isn't involved. You submit to him, you resist Satan, and you make Satan flee. Why? Because the battle isn't in heaven. It's in your mind to get you to believe what God has already said is yours. Are you getting this? Is this helpful? You see, when we pray for healing, we declare the victory of the cross. We declare life. We declare that Christ has done everything. We declare this blessing. We declare this victory. And we don't take no for an answer. We don't, you see, what, a lot, what, what we can do is we start looking around. In the gap between prayer and manifestation, which is where this lady is for her husband, there's a gap between prayer and manifestation. And in that gap, we look for reasons why we haven't got it yet. That thought never occurs to God. We declare we've got it. We declare it's ours. We, we think the way God thinks and we speak the things that God speaks. 
And God speaks that if we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. He said that we're no longer under curse, but we have the blessing of Abraham. And that means we have health, we have freedom, we're no longer in bondage, we're no longer in poverty. Now, we haven't taken possession of that yet because possession is taken by faith. And in some areas of our lives, we've taken possession of some of it. And in other areas of our lives, we've still got to get it into our possession. But God hasn't moved. God hasn't changed. And, he, and, he, and it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on you believing what, and taking what is already yours. So we declare the victory. You see, under the new covenant, all authority is Christ's. Jesus said, all authority on earth and under the earth and in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, you go, lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. Therefore, you go, be my witnesses. Therefore, you go, take dominion. Therefore, you go, resist the enemy and you'll flee. And so when we pray, we pray in the light of that. We intercede in the light of Christ's victory. What are we interceding for? We... We are letting people piggyback on our faith where they can't get there themselves. You know, we, we're at all different stages in, in, our, in our growth. And so some of us have seen healings of particular things before. Some of us have seen God's miraculous provision of finances before. And we're in a better place and a stronger bit of faith than, than somebody who's, who's just new to it. Or he's struggling in that area. So we, we, we step into the gap by joining our faith in agreement with them. Do, do you understand this? Yeah. Because it's really important that we don't pray like old covenant believers. Yeah. We pray from a place of victory. Let me just finish off with this. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you, Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, so this is Moses looking back at the first time they got to the promised land. Every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. The point's this. Moses told them from God, go take the land. They said, let's go and have a look at it. Let's see if we can do it. They were never going to do it. God had given them it. And you can never do what Christ has already done.
And even though they saw it was a good land and God was giving them it, they wandered around it for, for almost 40 years and didn't go in. When God tells you it's time to deal with something, you deal with it. Because that's when the Holy Spirit is there to deal with it. When God tells you to deal with something, you don't put it off till a more convenient time for you. You deal with it. Because that's when the anointing's there. The anointing comes with the word spoken. So when God tells you something, the anointing or the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with that thing in your life comes with it. I'm convinced that between year number one and year number 40, Israel could not have gone into the promised land because there was no word of God telling them to. There was no power of the Spirit to enable them to do it. So when, when God says to you to deal with something, you deal with it. And if God's dealing with you right now, <laughs> I don't know, let, let's say God's dealing with you and you sat there going, I've had a really bad attitude about that, then deal with it. Yeah. Come now, get some prayer. Get somebody to join in agreement with you. To stand in the gap next to you and join their faith for yours that that is going to move, that that mountain is going to move. And... You know, if, you, if you're in a situation where you've got unforgiveness in your life, you know, where you're not forgiving people, where you can't move on, where you're stuck 10 years, 20 years, 5 years, 6 months in your past, then now's the time to deal with it. Come and get prayed for. Get somebody to join their faith with yours and move on from the past into a better future. And, and, it, and if, God's, if you've got something and God's saying right, right now he's pinpointing a destructive habit in your life, and something that's messing up your life, now's the time to deal with it. Yeah. Not next Tuesday, not three weeks hence, not when ev everything feels great, but now. Because he's, he said it to you, and now he wants to do something about it. Yeah. When God says do it, do it. Yeah. It's a really simple principle. When God says do it, do it, and don't worry about how it's going to get done, because if he's told you he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Some of us want to know how it... Can, can the musicians come up? Some of us want to know how it's going to get done before we'll go for it. He's not going to show you how it can get done because your tiny peanut brain, like my tiny peanut brain, can't understand how he can do it in the first place. And if you could understand it, you'd only end up trying to do it yourself. So you need him to do some things you're not going to understand, you're not going to see. So whatever it is in your life right now that, that he's nailing, that he's saying it's time to move on, it's time for change, it's time to get rid of that bad attitude, it's time to get rid of that unforgiveness, it's time to get rid of that stuff that's, that's just making a mess of your life. Now is the time to deal with it. So let's stand. I'm going to ask the musicians to uh, go back to that Your Kingdom Come and we're going to pray for you if you want to, if God's nailed something, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be anything on that list I've given. But if he's nailed something, he said, right now, this morning is the time I want you to deal with that. Don't sit there making excuses and trying to work out whether next Tuesday is more convenient for you. It's now. Come get prayer and God will shift it.
because he said it, so he'll do it. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's sing. If you want prayer, you can forward now.